I have been in organizations where I have felt um, I could not bring my full self to work. I could not, you know, bring my my full capabilities to the table because it was very male dominated. So some companies are just that's just the way they are. So yeah, I've had some some of those challenges. I think what I'm what I'm really looking to do is I want to look forward and I want to develop you know a, a desire to do this work a desire for people to bring their full selves to the, this payroll space if you like wearing a lot of hats and you know if you like influencing and you like being part of something bigger than yourself then this is the payroll profession is really the profession that can give you all of that can you do it as a woman today absolutely absolutely you know you've got to find um, again, you've got to find those leaders. You've got to find that 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 person in the organization that really sees you and connects with you, and lets you bring your full self. And that might be a leader, and it might be a male. But they'll. I mean, my first leaders were male, but they saw me, and they 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 helped lift me up. That's what my job is today: is to find those people and lift them up, whether they're male or female or whatever the diversity. You cannot have. An organization that's successful globally, if you do not appreciate the diversity, you know, let people bring their full selves to work. It's diversity of thought, diversity of culture, diversity of diversity in everything. You've got to be open to that and listen, you know, part of an orchestra, you have to be quiet and tune yourself out and listen to the sounds around you. It's the same thing in an organization. You have to drown, your, just, just be quiet. And listen to what's going on around you. And I'm not saying I do that perfectly today, but it's always my goal to be better. Welcome to the second season of Women in Global Payroll. My name is Melanie Pitsy. And I'm Graham Wiley. So Graham, I'm sure you're going to agree. We met some really interesting female leaders in the last season. And the reason why I wanted to launch this podcast with, with you uh, was to showcase all of these amazing women that I'm meeting now and I have met over the last 20 years. I didn't feel there, there was a place to, to, to showcase them. And, and I think what better way through, you know, this podcast? Yeah, and I've been thrilled. I mean, season one was, was such a fantastic discovery and, and, and it's really topical in terms of strong female leadership and at a time when payroll has been really thrust into the spotlight. Um, so I learned a ton, had some great conversations, and I, I think there's just some really interesting, experienced characters out there in the industry that we, we talked to in, in season one, and I'm really excited with who you're bringing for season two. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll learn so much. So um, shall we get on with it then? Shall we, shall we start with this next season? Let's dive right in. Mel, who have we got with us? So we have Debbie Piazzatelli uh, with us today, who is based in uh, the States. And um, she's a fantastic person and has been working in the payroll industry for quite a while. So um, I'd like to welcome Debbie. So hello, Debbie. Hello, Melanie. Hello, Graham. And thank you so much for that warm welcome. And Graham, it is sunny in Delaware here in the United States. And Delaware is known as the first state, in case anybody wanted to know. Debbie, I have, um, I've seen you on LinkedIn and we've had sort of a, an email relationship and I don't know a huge amount uh, about you. However, looking at your LinkedIn, you've worked in some fantastic places. So did you want to sort of introduce yourself and who you are and where, where you're based and, and start us off that way? Sure, sure. So I am based in the United States. And I have been in the payroll space my entire career. And as, as most payrollers will tell you, we kind of just landed here. You know, someone saw a spark in us that said, ah, payroll. <laughs> so, so that's, that's where I've, um, that's how I started out in payroll. I have been in the global payroll space for about, um, six or seven years, well, maybe, maybe 10 years, but with companies that have been either small footprints globally or, large footprints. Some folks, some organizations I've worked with have had large headcounts, but US centric. Um, so I really have had both, you know, public and private organizations, large and small organizations, a real variety of, of companies that I've, that I've worked for. In those organizations, I've worn many hats. I have been always responsible for payroll. And then in some organizations, I would also uh, be responsible for compensation, 
you know, for example, leading the annual review process or benefits, um, moving uh, 401, I believe in almost every organization I've moved assets from one 401k plan to another. Um, so when you think about the themes, I've been very compliance driven and I've always thought about how do we get to the end with accuracy? It's, 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 it's maybe it came from being a musician. Uh, who, who knows? But um, I always look at where do I want to go and what do I need to do to get there? And my journey has, has just sharpened the saw throughout the years. My global footprint today is we've got um, about 8,000 associates in the Americas. We have about 2,500 associates in EMEA and about 2,000 associates in APAC. Uh, the payroll team is extremely lean at Gore. We have um, three folks in EMEA, two folks in APAC, and believe it or not, two payroll specialists in the Americas handling you know, quite a volume. Um, Naturally, we've got long tails everywhere. <laughs> we do use, um, um, a, you know, for most of our non-U.S. payrolls, we do actually use ADP. Um, and then we've got uh, all these boutique organ, uh, providers everywhere. So you, the, the complexity of delivering a global payroll for 12,000 associates with such a small staff really relies on everything that I learned throughout my career. And that's partnering with others. No one does this alone. That's a great intro. Thank you. Um, so you said something there that was just really interesting at the beginning. You talked about someone saw a, a spark in you and said, ah, payroll. Debbie's, Debbie's cut out for payroll. So what was that spark? What do you think makes a successful payroller? Yeah, I think attention to detail and the, and the willingness and the um, courage to speak up and speak out and to push back. And, and I know that sounds, you know, uh, for many, it's, it's like, ooh. With payroll, you have to be able to speak up and you have to be able to challenge and you have to be able to say, wait a minute, is there a better way to do this? Because if you pass me this data this way, it's going to end up with a bad situ bad result in the associate's paycheck. Um, so I think in the beginning, for me, it was leaders who said, ah, she's not afraid to do what we need her to do. Mm. Um, remembering that payroll is always the compliance stopgap. Right. We're at the end of the road. And this is where we raise our hands and say, well, hold on a second. If we pass this over, it's actually a benefit in kind. It's actually not a payment. Mm. Right? And how that flows through is important. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting, that attention to detail and the courage to speak, speak up. You don't often hear them paired in, in, in that same way because often um, – you know, payrollers themselves will, will characterize the profession as somewhat introverted and, and focused on the attention to detail um, and perhaps less comfortable with the, the challenge aspect. So I'm, I'm going to guess that's a, a learned skill um, and something that you've developed over, over time. So take me back to your first payroll job. Um, what were your responsibilities? What, what country scope? I think you were saying you started with US-based payrolls. Um, so talk me through that first payroll experience, what was it like coming into payroll and, and what did the tasks look like? Yeah, so my first payroll job was um, um, at, at Legal Seafoods. It was a small privately held restaurant chain. It maybe had four restaurants at the time in the greater Boston area. I worked in the accounting area and sat in the HR room with the rest of the benefits and HR folks. So I was kind of, again, right at the outset, I was the bridge. Right. I was a bridge between accounting and, and HR and benefits. Um, so what it looked like was processing data. We had the green bar, the big, the green bar. I'm aging myself. I mean, you know, giving away some secrets here, but the big old computer green bar. And I would flip page by page auditing the, the time entries that had come in. It was restaurants. So we were looking for tips. We were looking for um, making sure that we had um, indirect tips allocated properly, all these different stores. Throughout my tenure there, we expanded up and down the eastern seaboard, and so my role got bigger. I had some amazing leaders at that time who um, were familiar with transformations. They came into the organization to help expand and realize that we could centralize the accounting function and decentralize the HR function. So all of the process-related work came into 
finance. We built a shared service where um, I ended up being responsible for payroll, all the new hires, I-9, you know, compliance uh, validations, um, entering, my team entered the data into the system. We were responsible for invoices. We were implementing a new um, accounting software that was, you know, cost-based. We, um, I was responsible for sales audit. One of my supervisors was responsible for the treasury money movement function. So I ended up getting this big, you know, big scope and then, um, and, and learned, you know, learned so much through that or through that organization and through those leaders that really, um, I think positioned me well for, for the next, you know, phase of my career. Mm. And I mean, that, that's a privately held organization with really big growth ambitions and growing um, rapidly. Um, I'm based in the UK, but have traveled in the US. I know of Legal Seafoods. It's quite a big uh, business these days um, out of the Boston area and along the coast. Um, but, but not only expanding the business, but also upgrading the software and upgrading the systems as, as, as you went. So sounds like a bit of a baptism of fire as a, as a place to learn and then learn quickly. So at what point, a lot of the audience for this podcast are folks who are at different stages of their career, trying to benefit from other people's learning and experience. At what point did you say, I'm ready for something new? Right, Because it sounds like it was new every day as you were going through that. But how did you decide this time for a new challenge? Oh, it, it was. I got through that time. I got my accounting certificate. I really linked arms with our controller and um, vice president of finance and looked at them one day and I said, you know, I really love you guys, but I do not want to be you. <laughs> so I did not want to be a controller one day. That was not my path. I really wanted to understand the human side of the business. I wanted to explore more benefits, um, design. I wanted really was interested in retirement plans. I was interested in, um, you know, how do we, how do you build a, 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 a medical plan? How do you design it? And then, and then, you know, how does everything need to flow into payroll so that people are, you know, covered properly so that the invoices get paid so that the money gets moved properly. So, um, I just felt like I needed the HR aspect and I, and the way to do that was to leave. So I did. And I left um, the organization in good hands because the person that I hired as a payroll supervisor, you know, in early part of my career um, is I believe still there today. Um, so, so that's the other thing I love to do is develop people and, and, and really, um, you know, bring the, their, their best to the, the, uh, to the job. So, I left there and I went to an organization where I um, was responsible for payroll and benefits. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of HR in there. I was able to deliver um, a training program for supervisors on how to behave. Um, it was a, a general contractor, so it was construction. So it was how to talk to people, how to behave in a, in a way that was respectful. And um, we implemented the, a, new, a, a new fidelity um, uh vendor uh, we implemented fidelity 401k so we moved mm -hmm. assets um we implemented a new uh software for accounting um timberline software so i was you know i roll up my sleeves get the job done bring in people to help um train them and and when things are running great then i i'm like okay now what am i gonna do right i'm not a maintainer so i looked for another opportunity or they came to me i can't remember which and it was moving to a law firm and that was my sweet spot working for a, you know in a firm filled with attorneys and everything done in house we didn't outsource hardly anything so our cafeteria plan was in house our money purchase pension um while it was held outside the actual administration was in house everything was in house in my team very small team we opened up a London office during my time there. Mm -hmm. We opened up a Washington DC office during my time there. A phenomenal experience. And I, I probably would have stayed there had 9-11 um, not happened. Mm -hmm. so, so that was really the impetus for me to move to Arizona to be closer right. to family. My, my dad was out there, my brothers and my brand new nephews were out there. So I really oh, wanted okay. to um, watch them grow up. So yeah. that was my that was my leap of faith. I literally went to I was in Arizona when 9-11 happened, coming back that day and grounded for four days and, and just kind of had that aha moment. 
gosh, I don't want to, you know, wake up one day and say the only place I've ever lived is Massachusetts. And it's, it's interesting at the time that we record this. I mean, most people are um, sort of marking an anniversary of, of the year since the beginning of, of COVID lockdowns. Obviously some of our audience in Asia PAC started earlier. It's still a very much an ongoing situation in a number of different geographies. But I think that one year anniversary is an opportunity for people to reflect and look at their their new ways of working. So um, if if you were to look at the the last year in the same way as you paused after 9-11 and, and took stock, if you were to look at the last year, what have the, the learnings and insights from this last year been for you um, in your current role? Well, first and foremost, it's celebrating that we went through this entire year without missing a pay without missing a beat. My team was already positioned to work remotely. Um, I had been through enough natural disasters in my career to know that of all teams, the payroll team needs to be able to work remotely periodically, and that needs to be tested. And so I've, in in most of the organizations that I've worked for, we've, we've established that right at the outset. I do expect you to work from home one day, at least one day a week. You have to be able to test your disaster recovery in the event of a disaster. So the team was, even though, you know, in, internally, it's quite a, sometimes a culture shock, a culture challenge. People aren't, you know, ready for that. Um, but that, for me, it was really just saying, my gut instinct was make sure you do this. Make sure that's got, that, that team effectiveness is your number one priority. Um, and at, at Gore, I was so lucky to have leaders support that vision. And so just so fortunate that, that um, you know, they allowed me to hire people with that mindset. They allowed me to encourage that mindset. They allowed the team to buy the equipment that they needed to do this. And we were positioned to get this, to, to deliver um, payroll across the globe without any, without a glitch. So mm-hmm. That's my biggest, you know, I cannot not celebrate that, you know, mm-hmm. with, and, and cannot not, you know, look around to the, the teams that, that supported us and not celebrate that because that was really um, what got us through this. Do you find with some of your colleagues in the payroll industry that they don't have that mindset? Because I think when I've spoken to some payroll managers, whether it's in one country or global payroll managers, this has been or was such a shock to them, even though they had plans in place, you know, disaster recovery. But I I don't meet many payroll managers or global payroll directors that have it in their their plan that you have to work from home. And obviously that mindset has changed, but that's quite a surprise, isn't it? That that wasn't in global payroll managers' minds or payroll managers' minds before the pandemic. So I think you're very forward thinking in that respect. I think so. And I think I'm, I, I learned from, you know, um, the challenges of the past and having not having that infrastructure in place um, does, that's what creates the experience of, not being able to deliver, um, not having terrific partnerships with your vendors is, is, is another thing that has to start at the outset. And so many um, payroll organizations just do not have that focus that that vendor partner is your extension. That is part of your team. And, you know, we have to work, we have to work together. Again, I think I learned early in my career that, you know, we do not do this alone. Um, that we rely on others, you know, and I think all of that combined just brought me to this place where, you know, even even at other companies that I worked for, we've delivered global, um, you know, equity, for example, virtually, because we might be in the office, but we're still working virtually, right, mm-hmm. with with our team in, in EMEA and our team in APAC. So it can be done. It's just picking up that and moving it, moving it to a to your home. Your, your shared files, your, your vendor connections, those are already virtual. And it's just constantly reminding folks that it's already there. The challenge that, that we really have and that most payroll organizations have in the U.S. is, is the paper. There are still so much, there's still so much paper in the U.S. with garnishments and with, um, you know, some of our, our local jurisdictions just don't function electronically. They were the ones that really suffered, I think. Those that had not learned how to, to use SharePoints and, um, you know, private uh, uh, virtual spaces to share data. Those are the folks that hurt 
the, and, and think about the medical community. They weren't prepared for this at all. Virtual, you know, virtual medicine. So, so it's really important that for me, it's always been really important to remember that payroll has to, that airplane has to stay in the sky. And this goes again, back to former leaders that just, you know, the best thing about the way you run your, your, your payroll team, Debbie, is you always keep the airplane in the sky. Your team is solid. They stick to it. They keep going. And I do not believe that that's just my teams. I think that's the nature of payrollers. They put their heads down and they keep it going because it has to. We have to pay people and we have to pay our taxes. That's very well put. And I I love the fact that you're celebrating that success in the team because it continues to be a a global um, developing situation. And Payroll regulation and payroll compliance is so inherently local, um, even even as you were saying in some parts of the U.S. where some of the jurisdictions or some of the authorities are requiring paper filing uh, still as opposed to, to digital. Um, so I love that ability to see and, and celebrate the success and then immediately kind of pivot forward and say, what's next and, and, and what do we need to think about that? Um, one of the things that um, has come out over the last 12 months, and um, you've just like hit the nail on the head, really, we've had a lot of um, company directors or you know CEOs contact us directly because one of the key things that they have found out is that some of the payroll team haven't got a good relationship with their vendors. And during the pandemic, this has really highlighted that and it's actually become a serious issue with um, some of well, for, for their payroll to be processed on time. So I think that's a, a really key topic that you've discussed. And maybe we don't talk about enough, actually. You really do need a, a, a good relationship with your vendor. Yeah. You know, if you go back to that, um, the old phrase that when you point your finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And and again, that's an old, you know, I don't know where I got that somewhere in my in my growing up, but I remember that, that, you know, when you go, when I come into an organization like I did with Gore and we hear about all the mistakes the vendor's making, the first thing we need to do is look at ourselves. What are we doing to perpetuate this? What does the contract say? What are the controls in place that the vendor has? Because the vendor does this for a living, right? This is what they do and this is what they're paid to do. So let's look inside first. So we did, so we do that. Um, and in each organization, that's really how I've, I've looked, whether we process payroll in-house or externally, it's got to be Let's look at the payroll team. Let's look at where we can change. Let's look look at what, how we can do things differently. Do we need to partner better with our, our internal stakeholders? Do we need a better relationship with benefits? Do we need a better relationship with compensation? How do we partner internally to get the resources that we need? Again, it's all that for, for me and, and, and the payroll organization, it's about first what I call first time right. It's got to be right the first time or there will be rework or there will be some consequence. So if you don't get the data correctly to the vendor, they're not going to perform magic and make it right because they don't know, especially if it's automated. They're processing earnings as an earnings. And we've already established the governance around that earnings code. They're going to process it exactly the way it was set up. And when it fails, it's not, you know, again, is it the vendor's fault or is it our fault? So that's what what I did, you know, particularly at Gore is really try to understand um, you know, what that what we could do internally better. And then that brings goodwill. That builds that goodwill with the vendor partner. Um, and then you can look at the vendor, you know, and, and start partnering better on, you know, what do you need from us? And then they're like, oh, wow, they're making it easy for me. Then I'm going to, you know, build some goodwill. In fact, we were able to get the German um, regulate, the short-time work agreements pulled through, you know, partnering with our vendor because you know legislation was just all over the place and internally we were like what do we do we're going to do this we're going to do that no you know it all that decision finally you get to a decision and then payroll boom put the easy button and make it happen it's like well it's not so easy you know we need to now configure we've got to partner with the vendor to configure that and that's going to require some give and take because our internal organization is still trying to figure out what they want to do and you can't really build a program with the vendor until you know what you're going to do, right? So um, it's been a real give and take. That's really what the challenge has been throughout this past year is recognizing that, um, that you know, without that influence with your stakeholders and without those relationships, it's very hard 
to get that that payroll delivery proper. It's you know it, it's either not not going to be on time. There's going to be rework, or we're, we're going to be disappointing someone. So the better your relationships are, both internally and externally, the better ability you are to to deliver. Okay. Oh, sorry, Graham. I just really quickly, you know, talking about the cultural things, I was in um, with one of our awards. I was with a, a, a Dutch CEO, like a business owner, and we were trying to get somewhere. And I pointed, and he goes, "Oh my God, that's so British! It's so rude! That's so British!" But it was just an automatic, you know, just like. And he stopped doing that, and he grabbed hold of my finger and "Don't ever do that again." <laughs> You're reminding me of a, a Dutch leader that a Dutch CEO we had at one of my companies who came in and he was responsible for cleaning everything up. It was a it was a company built on acquisition. It was just filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of job titles. And he came in and he's just very, what do we do? We rent stuff. You need five jobs for that. <laughs> and he literally just said, I don't want 5,000 job titles. I want five. You know, and so we did this huge job title consolidation. But I remember that feeling of, you know, just that demanding, don't ever, you know, this is how we do things. And it was just so simple. Anyway, I don't know, you just brought back a, a memory that. Well, it's the cultural differences. Sorry, Graham, over to you. I stopped your question then. <laughs> no, so it's, Sorry. It, it's good because it's, it's, I think there's two ways that people can respond to the, the kind of situation we've seen over the last year. And you've just touched both of you on, 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 on either ends of the option. So so there is the very directive, right? We understand what needs to be done. We're going to have five job titles, not 5,000 job titles. We're going to make the decision and then we're going to drive that through the organization. And then you have the, um, you know, the regulations are changing so fast. No one's entirely sure what the new looks like. So it's very hard to be certain and say, yep, we absolutely know what this looks like. So you're forced into a new collaborative way of working where you take the best available information at the point in time and try and execute quickly against that. And it's exactly. been fascinating as an organization that's looked at the, the payroll design process and you've clearly looked at at a number of them through the organizations that you've been through for different models for shared services through to entirely in-house um that actually it's that partnership and co-design and and the ability to have flexibility on both sides not just for the relationship but to get the best for both people that are contributing to the process or to all parties that are contributing to the process so has that actually been easier in a digital world where you haven't had to get on a plane and book appointments with people but you've been able to jump into a video conference environment with them and work that through or did that get harder because of working from home and working remotely mm-hmm. uh, yeah really good um really good call out because it was somewhat harder for those relationships that i hadn't developed face to face so that face to face you know you know that people aspect doesn't really go away. You really having a face-to-face connection and building that, you know, having lunch, talking about your, um, you know, your families, things like that is so important. And one of the best things about Gore is that they really promote that from the outset. The minute you come in, the, for your first responsibility is not show me what you can do. It's build your, what we call a lattice, build your network and spend time with people and get to know who people are and get to know that, that, um, um, you know, how they grew up in the organization and, and what their journey looks, looked like at Gore. And so that, that's one of the wonderful things about this organization is that spirit, that people spirit. Um, so, you know, going back, you originally asked me about, you know, my first, leaders, you know, at, at Legal Seafoods. And one of the things that they taught me was that um, people support what they help to create, right? And, and that's just like, you know, everybody knows that phrase, really, people support what they help to create. And you really live that in the payroll world, is that if they help to, if they help you solve your the problems, you may know the answer, but you can't just do that top down with payroll. You really have to influence around and up and you have to, you know, start with the end in mind. So if we want to start here, what do you think we need to get to that point? What 
what do you think I need in terms of data, in terms of approvals or whatever, time and attendance, um, you know, et cetera. What do we need for, for managers to approve time on time, right? What do, what do I, what can I do to help you? What kind of reminders can I give you? It's that, um, that, that people develop, that people relationship that's the most important. Even taking meetings with people you've never heard of. I do that all the time. I don't know them. I don't know what their, their, their role is here. Um, I don't, our paths haven't crossed, but just talking and, and reaching out and, and exploring. And you just never know when your paths are going to cross again, especially in the payroll world. Um, and hope, Gore is a, is a company that gets external recognition for the way it thinks about its people and the way it, it, it develops its culture. Um, can you draw a direct line between that and the readiness for the situation? You touched earlier on that the, the organization had made investments around technology and your team had the tools that they needed. Can you draw a straight line between the focus on the associates and the strength of the payroll capability? Um, yeah, I think so. I think we could, um, especially when I, when I look regionally and I look at the, um, you know, it's not one size fits all, right? The team that we have in AP and in, in APAC is, is, is much different than the team we have in EMEA. But the, there's, you know, again, they come to the organization with the skills they need to get the work done. But the culture and the way they have to interact within their regions is completely different. Mm-hmm. The way they have to influence and the way they have to come to the table and, and learn about people. Um, I think that that part of it is is the right, what we call sponsorship and making sure that those folks are aligned with the, the right people that will help them be successful. That's the other thing, thing about, um, about this organization is that there is such a desire for people to be successful. It's not, you know, we absolutely want our associates to be paid correctly, but we also want the payroll team to be successful. So what do I need to do um, as a leader to help them get there when I'm still so new myself, mm-hmm. right? So now I, I can't say that it was smooth all the time. You know, it's, it's not always smooth. And it's those challenges and those rough spots that make us stronger. We definitely had some some areas where there was miscommunication and misfires and, you know, leaders, you know, everybody was on the path over here and I was back here going, well, hold on a second, wait a minute. That's not exactly what we said mm-hmm. <laughs> we could do. Right. <laughs> so those are, but when we do have a pause and a halt and a conflict and that rub, you come out the other side so much stronger and, and with such better relationships, um, mm-hmm. Then, then I mean, you know, you can't avoid them. You can't avoid the the roughness. You can't avoid the 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 um the bristles because they happen, right? Mm. Especially when you have people with uh or you know teams that are that have a different agenda, right? You've got manufacturing with this agenda. You've got your HR business partners that are fully supporting what their what their what their um what their constituents need and that doesn't always align with getting people paid properly on time and meeting our vendors deadlines mm. so you you know you build goodwill with the vendor you build goodwill internally and you you find a compromise in the middle yeah. and having that attention to detail and then the courage to speak up when things are moving down the a different pathway um it, it goes back to the point you were making at the, the beginning about the core the core payroll skill yeah. um you said when you when you were working with the the law firm um, that you expanded into London. Was that your first experience of uh, an international or global payroll? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. So for um, for those individuals who are perhaps currently doing domestic payroll in any particular country, could be in the US or could be in in Europe or in Asia Pacific, and an opportunity comes up for them to look at at global payroll, um, what experience or insight can you share from opening an office overseas and then helping build that out through to the journey where you are now with thousands of um, uh, associates all around the world. What are the, the key learnings of, that make global payroll somewhat different from, from domestic? Well, well, first, you have to be humble and, and know what you don't know and be, be willing to recognize that you have no idea what you're doing. So you have to partner with somebody who's done this before um, whether it be an audit firm or a, a, another vendor, you have to just just 
step back and say, oh gosh, I'm, it's, it's not the United States. I cannot tell you how many mistakes people have made by trying to implement something um, in the UK that looks like the US because, oh, you know, they speak English. It must be close. It's, it's like, yeah, no, totally different um, language. Um, so, so, I mean, when you're first starting out, you have to have that, that self-awareness to say, what don't I know and what do I need to do to, 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 to get there quickly? Um, and again, that's just research, using your resources, um, partnering, and, um, and recognizing that every country is unique. And there's a lot of things that you can standardize. There's a lot of data that can be, um, you know, that, that's foundational but there's an awful lot that is nuance. Um, you know, when you think, even Canada, when you think about vacation in the United States, it's all very much hours times rate equals vacation, you know, and that's, it's, you take the time off and you get paid based on that. You know, in other countries, it's not so simple. We have to take the time off and you also have to get paid a certain threshold for that time off, Right. So those little nuances are, are just, you would, you know, you can go to a training class and you still might not get that nuance. Um, um, I'm trying to think of. Um, oh, that, did you, that, did that. you find the cultural differences surprising? Cause it'd been, you know, we, we do speak the same language, don't we? But I think there are some quite large cultural differences between Canada, UK and, and the U S. Yeah, and and I and and um, there's a book that I have that that helped me really understand that it you have it's it's really empathy and really to, to get inside the other person and learn about that yeah, it's just it's what Gore does right it's get to know the person and 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 um, ask questions about the person and then you start to learn about their culture and what they bring um, what they what they bring to the table you know when when we do virtual team meetings that's the first thing we do when we bring somebody new in is tell us who you are tell us about you tell not just about your career path but tell us who you are what makes you tick what you know you know what what what's your favorite color what's your favorite flower you know what's your favorite season what's your favorite sport give us an uh you know what's your favorite music right give us an inkling and then over time you just keep building that that muscle of getting to know the person um I have a, a woman in, in, in Germany that I uh, partner with really closely, and she's lived in like nine countries, speaks I don't know how many languages, um, originally French, but has like three different past, three different um, um, citizenships. So, you know, now that's a person that it, it takes time to really understand who that person is after, after all that she's, she's been through growing up in all the different countries that she's lived in. So I, you know, again, it's, it's, let's not let's not um we we cannot be u.s centric about everything we cannot be um individualistic and siloed um about everything the name of the book that i was referring to um is um oh kiss bow and shake hands was one of them and then there was another one that um uh was recommended to me about the culture map and i forget the author um but um if you, if, if you get yeah. to find it i can i can add that to um, yeah. our listing but i yeah. think i think yeah. cultural when we've spoken to other people through you know during our podcast i think the cultural side has been an interesting aspect for for most people and how they how they deal with that um so it'd be, it'd be good if you if you do get to find the other the name of the other book i'll um, i'll add that yeah yeah and i think um you know as, as payroll payrollers grow in their in their positions they really can't avoid that global view and and really thinking uh, you know outside of their silo mm -hmm. and i'm hope i'm hopeful that leaders out there are doing this for them they're buying their books they're giving them classes and they're really developing that skill set of of looking up and looking out and being curious right being curious about another person I think it's a learning curve. I think w when I've travelled around the world, and obviously Graham has as, uh, uh, also, I find it really interesting and, and I have to remind myself sometimes about the cultural differences, you know, about who you're even sitting with at a table and why they may not be talking to you. It's not 
personal it's because it's a, a cultural thing so it, you know it, it is in or it can be interesting it is interesting yeah yeah I mean again sometimes I've learned those things the hard way like you know the the Asia team why aren't they speaking up why are they so quiet you know like how do you and I think for me I learned that you know, and again, I had some great leaders that were teaching me too. And let's, how do we pull people in? How do we engage and bring them into the conversation where they feel safe? Because we're, again, we're all different. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us culturally are, are, are required to behave a certain way. Um, so how do we do that in a safe space? And it takes time and it takes, um, you know, again, just just building that effectiveness across, you know, one of the things I did with this team is we did a disc assessment. And we looked at each region, it was amazing how it came out. But in the Americas, I ended up with with two people who were one was a, a DI and the other one was a, you know, an SC, like, you know, but together, they're, they're brilliant. And the same thing happened in APAC. How did this happen? I, I don't know. It just you know, you just realize instinctively, maybe, or through trial and error that what your gut tells you you need to balance off the other person, or what I need in the team to balance off me, right? Because if I'm too direct, then, you know, and I'm, I'm in a meeting, and I'm extremely frustrated or whatever, then I might be too direct. But then there's somebody with me that has a softer side, and that can bring about, you know, um, you know, just the softer side, the the more um, processing side, and allowing people that space to to process what I've just said, for example. Um, and the same thing happened in Amia. It was just was it luck? I don't know. I think that I think that there's some of it is instinct and and having to having built teams throughout my career, and you know what works, what doesn't work, and you know, it, for example, back in the law firm, we did the disc assessment, and I was a very solid D. And then I learned that I had to really mold myself to every organization. And, and some organizations need that high D to come out, that real direct um, person to come out. And then other organizations needed more influence. And it's funny, like all these years later, I now have that more of a high, you know, capital I and a little D. So I've really shifted a little bit throughout my career experientially and um, th through those leaders that have, have um, helped me, you know, um, round out the edges, I guess. And it's some of that may actually be a, a byproduct of the kind of work that you've been doing over that period of time, because global payroll transformations, they they have an inherent tension in that you have something that is good for the corporate organization to take complexity out of global payroll to make it more efficient to deliver a good economic return to the business whilst delivering that consistent associate or employee experience and keeping the plane in the air as, as you reference mm -hmm. but at a country level if you've been running payroll successfully in your country for a period of time any change can feel like a, a threat it, it can oh, yeah. feel like it's going to disrupt everything and, and break things um, and sometimes the difference in services means that you're actually potentially looking at being more expensive to operate in a particular geography in a global context because mm -hmm. you can buy those services more cheaply locally because you're buying something quite different in terms of the setup and so I see sometimes there is a tension between a local payroll team that's running a, a tight ship and, and, and is paying people on time and working with a local provider that they have empathy and trust with. And then there is a global transformation, which is absolutely for the good of the corporation, mm -hmm. but it creates a tension between a global payroll team and a local payroll team. Mm -hmm. ha have you seen that? And, and do you have any experiences to share either in your own experience or other people that you've talked to in the industry about how they've managed that to um, because you're right, people do support what they help to create. So those teams working together is often the most productive answer. But how do organizations achieve that, do you think? Yeah, I've absolutely seen that um, in, in many different ways. Um, and the answer sometimes is leave it local. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's it, it depends on the business. It depends on what the what the role is in that country. Um, and the, the landscape of the country, the regulatory landscape and, and the risk, you know, the t risk tolerance. Um, so sometimes, yeah, it, 
And, and, and by the way, sometimes it's not cheaper <laughs> to, um, right. So, so sometimes it makes more sense. And I learned again, and I learned this sometimes the hard way is sometimes it makes more sense if accounting and finance and tax also need services in that country that payroll wrap up with them. Mm. And so it just, it's, it just works better and, and, and it doesn't create any inconsistencies in delivery. Um, there's, there's such a web of benefits and taxes and, um, risk that it, it's more risky to pull it apart and bring it up to a global level. So we, and we do have those, those countries today. And, um, I think there are some countries that have moved into the global model that m- might have been better to leave them local. Um, and then, you know, it, it's, there's, there are so many considerations. A lot of it depends on the business. A lot of it depends on what they're doing in the country and that the way the organization is structured from an entity perspective. Um, So how do you, how do you know when it's done? Because it is this constant evolution and it is different for every business. So there is no immediate right answer. There's a combination of, and it depends on the teams and it depends on the culture of what they manage in-house from, you know, as you said earlier, where the, where the technology um, capability is right at the beginning of the the process to where it needs to be at the end. Um, so do you think it's ever done or do you think it is a process of constant evolution and, and iteration? I do think it's a constant uh, evaluation. And, um, you know, for example, you, you, you know, the country may have a certain line of business that we know that, that you know, we know that we're not going to continue beyond five years. Right. So we just, so, so, partnering with your your internal stakeholders helps us make that decision we're going to take the risk of what we have today because we know that the you know it's a short term it's short term risk and um again like i've said over and over again you cannot operate in a silo in payroll um, and you can't just accept what's passed to you you have to speak up and be part of the conversation and understand the, what does the footprint look like for the business in the next you know three to five years what is the yeah. And, and, and what is the risk tolerance? And that risk tolerance also changes over time. Um, you know, for example, during this pandemic, what was most critical to our business was manufacturing, right? Making sure that our, our products could still be made, you know, could still be delivered. And a lot of our products are medical products, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're helping deliver the, the viruses and syringes and, and they're helping so many of our products keep the economies going everywhere, right? So manufacturing was our number one priority throughout the pandemic. Make sure that we can keep our plants open and that people can get to work. So, you know, again, what we, we did a lot of work around that outside of the payroll world, right? We had to keep, make sure that people were paid. So all of our, 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 um, our partners in HR and finance and tax are all trying to think of what do we need to do to keep this business afloat? Well, first of all, we need to keep everybody that's non-essential at home. How do you do that, right? In the in the U.S., that means often that they're sitting in a different state because they don't live in the same state that they work in. So from a payroll perspective, you have to quickly determine, okay, this is going to be three months out. We're going to leave everything status quo. We're going to leave everybody with their home state location until we hear what the government's going to do. And we're going to keep it that way for three months. And then we reevaluate in three months and we do it in six months, et cetera, et cetera. And we really did that country by country. Like every country had to, um, and when you have 32 countries, it's a lot of discussion and a lot of things moving back and forth. And again, you start building those partnerships of trust and you get information delivered or, or people are reaching out to the payroll team asking, what happens if we do this? What happens if we do this? What do you need? That kind of thing. And you start getting that heads up of, of changes that are happening throughout the organization that you're going to need to respond to pretty quickly. Mm. And I think one of the things Mel and I have talked about with a couple of the folks that have, have joined this podcast is the role of data and uh, the employee data that payroll holds being so vital and the ability to answer some of those questions over the last year and pull that data out and run the different scenarios and the the analysis. Um, so with that in mind, how do you see the role of a payroller developing over the next 
five years and um you know how much of of what we've seen in the last year is a trigger event to to that change and and how much is just underlying that the job is changing anyway as technology changes the way we process payroll and the the the, the what the business is looking for yeah you know there's been a lot of um transformation and digitization going on the last couple of years but i think with organizations it's been very light it's been kind of dabble in and like, oh gosh, that's too much change back off. I think that that's going to have to, that's going to be rapid, um, that that digitization is going to be rapid. And like I said before, um, you know, payrollers are going to get data um, from, you know, you know, employees or from um, um, benefit providers or from time and attendance, et cetera. They've got to grab all this data and it's got to be right. And the only way it can be right is if we're influencing how that data is collected and the controls around the way that data comes into the system. In order for us, we, we have to have smart automa- automation. We've got to be agile and flexible. And the only way you can do that is to really start building those that skill set that helps you influence others. And um, you know, if you come t- to the to the table knowing knowing your stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Being educated, um, understanding your compliance issues, understanding your organization, understanding that you are a critical part of the business, not just a processor, right? We are a critical part of the business and, and, and you have to learn the skills to have that conversation, um, to, to influence that conversation. Like, you know, for example, mobility, we're going to, we have so much flexibility. We want flexibility. We want mobility, but there's structure that has to be created around that data for that to happen properly. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's not magic. It doesn't happen all automatically and it's no, there's no easy button. Mm. But I, I love that sense of ownership that, when you understand the process and you understand the regulation, you understand what it takes to keep the plane in the air and get everybody paid. There is a responsibility to help the rest of the business understand that and an influence across the business. And you know, I, I think from our conversations that that's not always seen as core to the role or an area that people leave time. I mean, Mel, you run, you run training courses for global payroll professionals and a lot of training around the, the, the core skills have, have has has GPA yet run a, a how to influence people training because um, that could be huge. Yeah, right? I, I think it's a massive issue. I I've been talking to people about it for a good few years because payroll has so much key data, and actually, what you just said is the influencer. And I was thinking, actually, there's something really good there about payroll becoming the influencer of of the company because everyone knows what an influencer is now, don't they? You know. It's all over the TV. And it's super important, I think, that payroll sees their position. And I'm I'm hoping that obviously there's some awful things that's happened during the pandemic. But I hope that one of the good things that has come out of the pandemic has that the payroll's position, uh, the profile within organisations has uh, grown. And I hope that it, it carries on growing within departments and also within companies. Have you, have you seen that, Debbie, that, the, the payroll payroll's position has changed. I'll tell you that in organizations where you have metrics and data to report, you're able to influence faster, right? The challenge with most payroll or most payroll departments or organizations is that it has always been thought of as a pure data processing function, purely transactional. Um, but with so much of our tech explosion in the last 10 years, um, there's so much automation available and people are automating and they're putting in new systems and they're automating like crazy, but it still breaks and it breaks because you haven't had that conversation in the beginning. Payroll needs to start being, th- think of itself as a center of excellence and start building out your bench strength as a center of excellence. Bad data automated is still going to be bad data. It's still going to need rework. It's still going to, it's, it, it, there's, like I said, there's no easy button. Um, but when you start adding that automating bad data or automating, you know, perhaps pay codes for, for union, different unions, like in the United States, um, that the delivery on, on the payroll end is going to create a big, um, problem for your associate pay. Mm-hmm. So, then you have the increased complexity around mobility. You have a desire for 
um, that flexibility, like I said before, with increased legislation and and rapid speed, um, you know, rules coming down with, oh, this is what we're going to do. And the, the legislation gets signed off on. And then after a month, they're like, oh, that's not working properly. We got to change it again. Right. So you've got a payroll team that has to figure all that out with multiple, you know, wearing lots of hats, for example. Um, you have to be able to think of your, your, your payroll organization as a center of excellence that includes mobility. It includes, you know, business travel. It includes compliance and audit. Um, at the beginning, um, without subject matter experts in these areas as part of your payroll team or part of your center of excellence, um, you're, you're, you know, you're bound to, to have errors and issues and, and, and fail to deliver properly. Um, the payroll professional, the payroll COE is the stopgap really for the organization. And somehow we have to find a way to, 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 to speak up and speak out in a way that's meaningful when we don't have the data. We should have the data, but we, you know, and we, for example, in our organization, you know, one of the, our fundamental controls is everybody that's in our HCM system has to be on the payroll. And if there's anybody on the payroll that's not in the HCM system, that's a problem. And those audits happen monthly. The amount that, that has been processed through pay has to match what we pass to the GL period. There cannot be any gaps. And if there is, we have to figure out the root cause for that. So you can see the skill set of the person in, in payroll is not just moving data back and forth, right? Mm. Um, I know that wasn't the most eloquent way to say it, but I think you summarized it beautifully with, with data is influence. Um, and, you know, payroll has the potential to have access to that data. And, and so how payroll professionals think about getting access to the data, the kind of metrics they're reporting, the way they produce those, that's what drives the influence because they understand right across the, the business. And to Mel's point, you know, we see a lot of businesses asking questions now after a, a, a year of, of, of COVID. I think it's a, um, it's, a, it's a trigger event where people are saying, okay, there are a number of priorities. And, and you, know, you, you touched earlier on your company had one very clear priority, which was keep manufacturing running. Everything else was secondary to that. And mm-hmm. I think as companies emerge from lockdown and they emerge from um, you know, different waves of the, the virus, the, the, the business drivers are saying, where should we invest? Where can we grow? And so you know, this opportunity for payroll professionals to step forward and say, actually, we have the data and we can see a way forward um, has huge potential for payroll. But I do think it's payroll professionals have to step forward. People are taking a, a new look at the area and they're saying, okay, things have changed, but it's still incumbent on people in your role, Debbie, to, to say, hey, I'm going to speak up, right? I've, I've got this opportunity and I can see it and I'm ready to invest. And it sounds like you've done that right throughout your career, which is a fantastic you know, way to come back to, to this season two of the podcast, Mel, in terms of being able to pick up with someone who's just done that for so many years that it was second nature and it, it just happened. And I'm making things sound easier than they were, I'm sure, over the last year. But you know, your organization was ready and you and the team responded. And that shows the potential for, for investing time and energy in payroll and getting it right. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing with payroll is, is there's, there's got to be a stick to um, There's, you know, I've told that story, you know, I've, I've in, tried to influence um, in many ways in different organizations. And sometimes you have to do it. You have to have the same conversation again and again and again, because, you know, CEOs change, CPOs change, you know, and, and there's, there's whenever leadership changes in an organization, you have to start again. You have to tell that story again. It's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, just just children. And and you know, sometimes you have to tell children many times before they hurt. You know, they they realize that oh, I get what you mean now, right? So um, so sometimes you have to have the same conversation with the same people. Like for example, we're having this conversation today in 2021. If we have it again next year in 2022. What's going to have changed? What, what, what am I going to learn over the next year? What are you going to learn over the next year? What have CEOs learned over the last year that they're going to, to, to use going forward? Um, and I, I think really, you know, this, that's the other thing. It's that stick-to-itiveness. Um, and, and remember, so many people will tell you that you get a, a, a question from an associate 
And, you know, you're sick and tired of the same question over and over and over again. But every time you answer that phone, you have to remember, this is a different person. They have not heard this yet. Mm. Right. And I remember just learning that way back in the beginning of my career that, that, okay, I understand they haven't learned this yet. So what am I going to do differently next time? Well, first I'm going to refresh the conversation and I'm going to give them something that they can take away. So I start building, you know, that payroll 101 um, handbook, or I start developing job aids or cheat sheets of how to read your paycheck type of thing. And, you know, half of the population will get it and they'll remember where they put it and they'll, <laughs> and the other half won't, and you got to do it again. Same thing with leaders and the same thing with telling your story. Um, you just got to keep reintroducing your story and refreshing it and dusting it off. I'm doing that now with our, we have a, a new CFO that just started and I'm now preparing, um, you know, she started in January and I'm, I waited, give her a few months and then I'll show her, give her the payroll tour. Like, I know what you've probably been told that this is what we do, but this is really what we do, right? This is what our organization looks like. And this is how we get payroll done. And here's, you know, here's where I see our risks and here's where I think we can improve. And, you know, looking forward to your, you know, partnership and insight and understanding where you're going to take the organization. Uh, it sounds like you never give up as well, Debbie. You, you can't. You can't. It's like being a musician, right? Oh. You have to practice the same measure a million times backwards and forwards and ups. And you have to do it so many times to get it right. And I pick up music that I've played, you know, back in my college days. And I, I, I've learned new techniques. I've learned new ways to to, to to phrase, I've learned so many new things that you have to do it again differently. And anyway, yeah. it's just, yeah, I want, it's life, right? I wanted to ask you about this. So um, are you a flutist? I am. So just not a lot of people know this, but when I was about eight to about 12, I played the flute. <laughs> and I can't remember how to play it now, but I, I, I think I was too young because apparently my fingers weren't big enough. But anyway, I tried. <laughs> so when I, so when I, was, I don't meet many people that play the flute to be honest and um that's pretty amazing so so how long have you been playing the flute is you know is this one way that you unwind you know what what's the story here because obviously music and payroll is very different isn't it you have no idea how many musicians go into payroll or accounting oh really it's amazing that the yes that those there are some real similarities yeah I, I think between that yeah um i'm not going to tell you how long i'll tell you i started in like seventh or eighth grade um and i only started flute because I was playing drums before that and the orchestra would, the band leader would not let me play anything but bass drum or cymbals. And I'm like, well, this is no fun. And I, I you know, girls don't play the snare drum. So I'm like, well, then I'm going to find something that girls do play and it's okay for girls to play. So anyway, I, I switched to flute and, and loved it. And, um, and just, yeah, and I still play. I'm a member of the um, the flute choir here in Delaware. It's called the First State Flute Choir, which I tripped on. I don't know how many years I'd been in Delaware before I found them. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I just died and went to heaven. It is, it's just amazing. Um, I play the piccolo in another volunteer um, yeah. marching band. Um I play, you know, for, you know, different church services over the years. I mean, I, I think there was a, there was a good period of time when I wasn't playing, when I was um, really focused on my career and kind of growing up, but I'm so happy that I picked it back up and uh, yeah, it gives me lots of joy. I'm, I'm super impressed and I'm, I'm going to now do a survey to find out how many musicians are in payroll because I didn't know that. Well, it's it's at the danger of stretching an analogy too far, but well, you know Ian, Ian Sparrow. So Ian runs the global partner network for, for ADP and, and, and we bring that partner network together in person because, as you say, Debbie, the, the relationships matter. You're talking about covering 140 countries. Um, and the last one, just prior to the, the COVID lockdown, we've done one virtually, but the last time we were all together in person um, was in Vienna around an orchestra theme um, because uh, oh. actually there are a surprising number of musicians inside that network and that need to play to your individual strengths but be part of a greater whole is a, is a, is a key part of the payroll experience. You just you just hit the nail on the head. That that's exactly that's exactly what we are. We're a symphony. I'm I'm paraphrasing Ian Sparrow, um, who uh, who who knows who knows the sector and has been here for many more years in terms of understanding payroll. Um, I think just celebrated his 30th anniversary with uh, with ADP. So. Um, it's been a fantastic conversation and um, just lovely to hear about 
all your experiences and i can't we're on this will be an audio podcast but we're on zoom and you have a most beautiful zoom backdrop um so and we haven't really talked much about gore associates but i think that's a, a manufacturing facility for gore is it behind you this one here is actually um a where we have most of our training um and development we've got um also um it's kind of a welcome center for, for, for people to learn about Gore. We have a Gore store. It's the only physical store in the U S that is, that is here. Um, um, yeah. So this, this one isn't, um, isn't manufacturing per se, but I actually, the, 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 where I work is a different um, Delaware plant. It is manufacturing, Mm. which is why I, you know, when I go in, I have to be very careful, you know, we're, we're temperature screened. We are, um, you know, we wear our masks the whole time. Only I work in a, a separate wing. It's called the HR wing. And only a couple of people can be in there at, the, at one time. Um, so, again, it's all about protecting that manufacturing space. Yeah. So from origins and a first payroll job at Legal Seafoods back when it was just four or five restaurants on, on the East Coast through to this magnificent showcase facility, Gore working with a, a, a global brand. It's been a been a fantastic journey and just thank you so much for for sharing it with us i think lots of insight there for listeners to take away mel any any last questions or thoughts from you no i think it's fantastic i i feel like everyone should be listening to to what you're saying because i I love the the payroll influencer so maybe you're going to be our first payroll influencer officially that would be fun (laughs) <laughs> no it's been it's been so interesting in theory I, I feel like I could um, speak to you for another another 30 minutes or an hour and find out more so maybe we'll have a, a part two at some point yeah and I just want to thank you guys so much for doing this um you know putting a spotlight on the profession I think it's so critical um and and you do it in such a nice way you've had so much variety in your podcasts I really appreciate it and I you know I I, I do share them frequently because I've learned much from your, the folks that you've highlighted, you know, in, in series one or part one, <laughs> so to speak. So I just want to say thank you so much, Debbie. What a, what a inspirational um, hour that we've spent with you. It's, it's been really informative. And um, so thank you for spending time with us today. Um, Graham, any thoughts? Just, I really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for, for joining us. And I think all three of us are looking forward to the opportunity to meet up in the real world when we when we get back to uh, to that. But for now, it's been great to have the conversation on the podcast and hopefully the, the listeners um, will, will share your great experiences and insights. And thank you so much for the opportunity to do this with you and for the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you. This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.